Welcome to the sermon podcast for First Christian Church of Warsaw, Indiana. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Please visit us at FCCWarsaw.com to learn more about our church or to make plans to be with us on a Sunday morning. Again, that's FCCWarsaw.com. So it was about five years ago that this term cancel culture started to creep up regularly in social media and in the news. I'm guessing most of you in here have heard of cancel culture or know a little bit about what it means or what's meant by that phrase. It refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support for somebody or something, like withdrawing support for a public figure or a company after they've done or said something that's deemed objectionable or offensive. It's sort of like boycotting an actor's movies or refusing to read a certain writer's books or no longer purchasing a particular brand. And some recent targets of cancellation, you probably know some of these or have heard of some of them. Kanye West, a notorious rapper, he's been canceled multiple times for things that he's said and done. There's J.K. Rowling the author of the Harry Potter series, who became a cancel culture target after expressing some traditional views on gender. Uh, Kirk Cameron, in the news here in the last couple weeks, he uh, recently got in the cancel culture conversation when multiple public libraries around the country denied him access to do readings of his recent children's books. And then currently, of course, there's Bud Light. Oh my goodness, seems like absolutely everybody is canceling them. Doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right, it's like everybody's mad at them because of this marketing decision that they made this spring, and then for how they've responded to the backlash. Some people say that cancel culture is unfair or it's mob-driven. Some say it's just a consequence for things that you say or you do. However you view it, it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. So in light of this and in light of kind of this climate in which we're living right now, I started thinking about the prophet Jeremiah in the Bible, and yes, Teresa mentioned him just a moment ago in her community meditation, because Jeremiah was, actually, he was a target of cancel culture in his day and age, long before that was even a phrase or anything anybody talked about. Jeremiah's nation at the time when he was living was deteriorating morally, politically, economically, spiritually. And yet God's word was deemed very offensive to be spoken into that culture. Does that sound familiar (laughs) to the time in which we live today? Any similarities there? I thought so too. So it got me thinking, like, I wonder if there are some things we can learn from Jeremiah, his life, his times, how he lived in the culture that he did as a godly person, how we're to live today as godly people. I'd never done a message series on Jeremiah before, so I started digging into this rather lengthy book and studying it, and I'm pretty excited to share with you over the course of these weeks here this summer some of the things that God has been showing me and and teaching me. Uh, I think they're going to be helpful for all of us as we live in the times in which we do, a time when maybe right here God's word is occasionally deemed offensive, and we live in a culture that maybe wants to cancel what God has to say while we see many things beginning to deteriorate around us. How's Jeremiah relate to this? Well, let's dig in. If you want to open your Bible to the book of Jeremiah, he's one of the major prophets, as he's called in the Old Testament, rather lengthy book in the Old Testament, or just flip to it on your device or on your phone. We're going to start with chapter one here in just a moment. Jeremiah lived during a time 
when God's people were on the brink of losing their homeland. They had come out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. Moses, by God's direction, led them through the parting of the Red Sea, and he took them into their homeland, the land of Canaan, which became known as the the land of Israel. But Moses had warned them in the book of Deuteronomy, especially in Deuteronomy chapter 13, okay, guys, God gave you this land in which to live and to flourish and to prosper, but if you start worshiping the other gods or the idols of the nations around you, beware, because God will have you leave this land and it will no longer be your possession. Well, after a few hundred years later, after the Israelites occupy the land of Canaan, You're in Jeremiah's lifetime at this point, and God's people have lost the plot, so to speak. Uh, They've become two separate nations, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. They're not just one nation anymore. But by the time Jeremiah rolls around, the northern kingdom has already gone into exile. They've been conquered by the Assyrians, and God expects the southern kingdom to learn the lesson because those guys, they bowed to idols. They were sacrificing their children in the fire to other gods. They'd become very corrupt. They were um, being very, very... They had exploited the poor to a a large degree. And so God wanted the southern kingdom to kind of get the idea here. You'll be kicked out of the land if you don't wise up, repent, and follow the Lord. And by the time, again, Jeremiah is around, there's this king named Josiah who's trying to do some reforms. They're sort of taking place, but the complacency has run so deep among the people that it's not really running that deep. They're saying things like, well, we've got God's temple in Jerusalem. We're safe. Nothing's wrong. And all the while, you've got these world superpowers, Assyria, Egypt, and Babylon are all kind of converging on little Judah, who's kind of in the middle of their web of their desire for world domination. And they're standing on the brink. And Isaiah, well... Isaiah's job from God was to issue this last-minute wake-up call to the people of Judah with the full knowledge from God that, by and large, the people aren't going to listen to him. In fact, they're going to cancel him. Uh, We're going to see through the course of this summer the various things that happened to Jeremiah when he got canceled, and some of them were very cruel. Some of them were very painful. Uh, He's imprisoned. He's he's beaten. uh, He's mocked. He's thrown into a pit. I mean, we'll we'll go through a lot of these different things, the different ways that people tried to cancel him. Assassination plot brought against him. My goodness, just thing after thing after thing, because people get so infuriated over what he was telling them that God had to say. It was a tough assignment he was being given. So what we're going to look at this morning here in Jeremiah chapter 1, this took place when Jeremiah was probably teenager, early 20s. So he's a young man, all right? And Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 4, says this. Jeremiah says, the word of the Lord came to me. And here's what God said. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But I, Jeremiah says, but I protested. Oh, no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. I'm only in my teens, early 20s here, God. Then the Lord said to me, don't say I'm only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Don't be afraid of anyone, for I'll be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. See, I've appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to Demol- to destroy and demolish. 
to build and to plant. So here's Jeremiah getting this difficult task, this life calling that comes on him from God. It was going to be a difficult message to share to a people who did not want to hear it. The basic message that Jeremiah is going to present over and over again in his lifetime is, hey, repent, turn to God, or there's going to be punishment for the actions on this nation, or you're going to be sent into exile, or this nation is going to be conquered. Initially, Jeremiah objects. We just read this. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I'm only, I'm only a little kid. But notice what God said in verse 5. This is what we're going to zero in on here this morning. He said, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born, and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So God speaks these words of initiative into Jeremiah's life. And God is always the one that takes the initiative. We're the ones who get to respond. But what I want you to see this morning is that God speaks these exact same initiatives into your life and into mine. These exact same ones. I chose you. I set you apart. I appointed you. God speaks these exact same initiatives into your life and mine. God's taken the initiative each of us can say, to prepare me to live in the times that I do and in the place that I do, I've been sent here by God. So God says to Jeremiah and to us, let's, let's just look at these phrases here individually for just a moment. God says, I chose you. I chose you. Before I formed you in the womb, I chose you. That Hebrew word for chose could also be translated new. I knew you, Jeremiah, before you were born. I, I chose you. And what a startling statement that would be for young Jeremiah to hear. Like, I knew you even before you were born. I, I chose you. I had a plan for your life even before I formed you in the womb. Guys, that turns so much of our Western thinking about God like 180 degrees around because sometimes we think things like we go looking for God or we think we need to discover God. Or maybe we have questions about God. But this shows us that long before any of us had any interest in God, God was interested in us. Long before that, he chose you. There's a man named Eugene Peterson that's written a book about Jeremiah's life. Uh, he called it Run with the Horses. And he makes a statement in the section of his book where he's talking about Jeremiah's word from God here in Jeremiah chapter 1. And he says, the fundamental mistake we make is to begin with ourselves and not with God. And he's talking about how our lives are not puzzles to be figured out. We come to God who knows us, and he's the one that reveals the truth about our lives. And that got me to thinking about this time in which we live right now. Because we live in a time where people are, it seems like they're desperate to have an identity. And so some people will say things like, I identify as male, I identify as female, or I, I identify as non-binary. I identify as gay, I identify as straight, I identify as trans. I identify as politically conservative, I identify as politically liberal. I identify as white, I identify as Latino, I identify as Asian, I identify as black. It's like people are desperate to have this identity or this thing around which to build their lives to say, this is who I am. But this also stood out to me in what Eugene Peterson wrote. Listen to this. He says, my identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. Boom, right? 
Let me read that again. My identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. There is something previous, he writes, to what I think about myself, and that's what God thinks of me. That means that everything I think and feel is by nature a response, and the one to whom I respond is God. So if I, if I respond to what I think and what I feel apart from responding to God, then I'm going to be responding to any number of various forms of people who are speaking things, whether they're saying something on Instagram or on TikTok or whether they're a, a cultural voice or whether they're a celebrity or whether they're somebody prominent who thinks they have something to say. Those voices will lead me to a place that will further confusion or create brokenness or lead to pain. But we're a lot like Jeremiah. We're living in the middle of a story that God already began, and it's a story that's going to be concluded by God. And what we need to see is that God took the initiative in our lives. He took the initiative in your life. He took the initiative in mine. And he says, you know what? I chose you. I, I, like I knew you even before you were in your mother's womb. I chose you to have this purpose or this destiny for the time in which you would live and the place in which you would live. There's no reason to despair over the day and age in which you live and what other people are doing in an attempt to discover who they are or why they're here. You know why you're here and you know who you are because I've told you. I made you. I formed you. If you're a Christian, you're somebody whose identity is in Christ. And you're here at this particular time, 2023, living in this particular place where you do, working where you do, going to school where you do, having the neighbors that you do, because it was all preordained by God for his purpose to be here now. He chose you, right? You don't have to go figure this out on your own. And if you do... That leads to some really confusing places. So I see a number of young people here in the room. You guys know what I'm talking about too. Like there's so much pressure on you to define who you are. Man, I'm so thankful that God's like, here's who you are. You're mine. You're mine. I formed you. I made you. I loved you. I chose you. You have a, a purpose. We're going to dig into what that purpose is a little bit here, more in a moment. But, man, God is so amazingly gracious to us. And he's telling Jeremiah, like, okay, buddy, I know you live in a really difficult season of world history. And I know your country's going down the drain. And I know that I'm going to give you my words to speak and people aren't going to want to hear them. And I want you to know right up front, though, that I'm in this with you. I chose you, right? I chose you. David echoes this when, when he says this in Psalm 139. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. It's clear God chose you. He chose me for here and for now. Remember lining up and playing games maybe on the playground when you were a kid? People would pick sides for whatever you're going to play, kickball, dodgeball, red light, you know, whatever. I guess you don't pick sides for red light, scratch that. But maybe kickball, dodgeball, something like that. And so maybe at some point in your life, maybe you were the little kid or whatever, not as old as the other kids. Maybe it got around a time and you were the last one picked. And so some team captain was like, oh, all right, I guess if I have to be on my team, you know. What's so amazing is that God is totally not like that toward you. It's like I, I chose you. 
I knew you before you were born, and I knew everything about you, and I chose you to be part of this big global cosmic universal thing that I'm doing to show people who I am through my son Jesus Christ, and it's all going to come to this glorious conclusion, uh, and I chose you to be part of that. So here's something to hang our hat on as we talk about this. God chose me. That means I'm not a zero. God's taken the initiative to prepare me to live in the times that I do and in the place that I do. I've been sent here by God. He chose me, so I'm not a zero. And God also, God also says to Jeremiah and to us in that fifth verse of Jeremiah 1, I set you apart, again, before you were born. Like the literal meaning of that is I consecrated you. Jeremiah, I, I, made there, I made you to be something, somebody different. I made you to have there be something different about you. I set you apart to be on my side. What an encouragement that must have been to Jeremiah, again, in the time that he was living and especially in the task that he was being given to speak God's words to people that didn't want to hear them, to speak God's words to people who thought they would be offensive. I set you apart for this. I consecrated you for this before you were born. And it's true for all of us. In God's history with Israel, it was the, the tribe of Levi, or the Levites, who were the ones who were consecrated who, or who were set apart by God to be priests. They would be the ones who were set apart for service and for the worship of God. And what a priest would do in the Old Testament is that they would pronounce blessings and they would help explain God's word to people. Those are two of the primary things they did. But there's also a dominant picture of a priest in the Old Testament, and that's of somebody entering the temple with an atoning sacrifice. But look here on the screen with me at what the New Testament says about followers of Jesus with regard to being consecrated or set apart. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You're a chosen race. We talked about chosen with Jeremiah a moment ago, but here's where the consecration part or the setting apart comes in. Your chosen race, I set you apart, God say in here, as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God says, you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're a people of my own possession. I set you apart. I consecrated you in Jesus. And by saying this, he's, he's talking of us now as priests who live in this culture today, each of us who are Jesus followers, we enter spaces with the atoning sacrifice. Jesus Christ lives in us if we've accepted him to be our Lord and Savior. He lives in us by his spirit. We carry that atoning sacrifice of Jesus with us wherever we go. So we enter spaces where we make a way for others to know him, which is quite an honor. We're given opportunities to step forward and pronounce words of blessings in the name of the Lord, like Old Testament priests would do. And we're given the opportunity to make the meaning of God's word clear to people, like an Old Testament priest would do. So God's appointed us to be this agent of blessing that leads to leading others to know Jesus as well. I've set you apart. I've consecrated you. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from First Christian Church of Warsaw, Indiana. We invite you to join us for worship on an upcoming Sunday morning. Check out our website at fccwarsaw.com for more details and information. 
Again, that's FCCWarsaw.com.